listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showtime. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shodry. And in recent shows, we've talked with ATF canine handlers who've been partnered with Accelerant Detection, Explosive Detection, and Tactical Dogs. Today, we're completing the series with a canine trainer for the ATF. Now, that brings me to my rant of the week. Dogs historically served people in a variety of capacities with a willing wag. And today, dogs partner with people in perhaps more ways than ever before. From beloved pet or a service animal, seizure alert dogs, to bomb detection canines, protection, and even trailing dogs that assist the police. Each of these canine jobs requires training. But these days, anyone with a leash and a loud voice can claim to be a dog trainer. You can even dial up a self-proclaimed training guru on the TV or buy a DVD and become an expert yourself overnight. It absolutely hisses me off when a one-size-fits-all approach to training gets shoved down the public's throat. There are too many clueless folks out there who use bad spying and perpetuate myths to support the use of outdated and ineffective or, or even cruel training methods that not only hurt the dog and damage the pet-human relationship, but they can lead to severe injury for the dog or for the owner. Yet caring pet owners continue to buy into this garbage. Give me a break, folks. There is absolutely no reason for a pet dog to receive the type of rigorous training that that a military canine might require. Now, my guest today can explain how the ATF canines are trained. Sean Crawford, canine trainer, began his career in the canine field in 1987 as a canine handler for the U.S. Air Force Security Police. During his time with the Air Force, Mr. Crawford served in Korea, Delaware, and Maryland. And while serving in Maryland, Mr. Crawford served at Andrews Air Force Base, where he worked presidential protection as a canine handler. He's been in law enforcement for 25 years, including 20 years with ATF. And since joining ATF, he's been assigned to three field divisions and to ATF headquarters. So call all your canines and make yourself comfortable. So we'll be right back with ATF canine trainer Sean Crawford after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pawfume Dog Grooming and Finishing Spray is proud to be a new sponsor of Pet Life Radio. Pawfume Super Long Lasting Sprays are available in four unique fragrances. Each Pawfume spray is fortified with the finest conditioners and detanglers to make combing out your dog more fun. Pawfume retails for only $2 per 6-ounce bottle. Pawfume is available nationwide at all Dollar General and Family Dollar stores. Why pay more to have your dog smell great? Pawfume. 
P-A-W-F-U-M-E. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Aquariums and pondkeeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please help me welcome Mr. Sean Crawford to the show. Thank you so much for coming, Sean. Appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. I like to start out my interviews uh, on Pet Peeves, Sean, by asking guests to tell a little bit about themselves. Do you have pets? Do you have dogs yourself? I actually, um, yes, I do. I have a Pomeranian, my wife and I, and then I have a um, ATF working dog that stays at the house with me. All right. What kind of uh, ATF dog do you have? Labrador Retriever. She's a female. Her name's Caroline. She's four years old. Uh, ATF, that's all we use are Labrador Retrievers in our detection work. All right. Well, as a handler, did you grow up with dogs in your life as as a kid? Is this something that you've had been around all your life? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> I remember my first dog was a, a German Shepherd named Max, and uh, you know, so I had dogs my whole life. Grew up around them. Uh, when I went into the service when I was in uh, security police school, the opportunity came up to get into the canine field, and I jumped right on that. And 22 years later, still doing it. So did, did you have to go through an interview process in order to become uh, a canine handler? Right. Everybody that went in, um, uh, they wanted to make sure that you uh, had you know, a good, strong voice, you know, controlling the military working dog. It's a powerful animal, and you had to have uh, you know, good physical abilities and have good coordination. So they put you through a series of tests before you got accepted into the school. Right. We know a little bit then how the uh, the trainers or, or the handlers are chosen. How are the dogs picked? Do the handlers have a say in pick of a litter or 
or do you match make the dog to the human? What we do is um, we have an interview process um, before the handler comes to school. We'll give them a call and uh, get a little bit of feel for them. Um, the dogs are required to stay in the handler's house, so we have to ask questions. Are there other dogs in the house? Um, if we get a you know a potential handler says, yeah, I've got a, uh, a dominant male Rottweiler, we'll try to give that person uh, you know uh, not a dominant uh, match. So there's not too many. The two dominant dogs in the house. Um, you know, we look to see if they have small kids. We have very detailed records on our dogs, and uh, if they do have small kids, we'll make sure we give them a dog that you know has been around small children and are gentle. with. So it's it's a complicated process. A lot of it's I don't know. There's some gut feelings. You meet the person. You know the dogs that you've trained, and we're very successful about matching them up. So as, as an ATF canine trainer, do you train the dogs in advance before the handlers come in and then the handlers are trained? How does that work? Good question. What we do is we pre-train the dogs for six weeks. We introduce the dogs to all the odors that they're going to uh, be working on, and we teach them basic search patterns in all the areas that they'll work in. Then the handler comes in, we marry the dog up with the handler, and then they go through a 10-week school together where the dog continues to learn and the handler learns how to work the dog in all the areas. All right. So I know that you said that um, you only use Labradors. So where do you get these dogs and are the puppies temperament tested first? Uh, which ones are probably going to make good search dogs or which ones are going to make, uh, you know, have that particular kind of drive and won't be a couch potato necessarily? Uh, we actually, the majority of our dogs, we get them, they were potentially bred for guide dog work. Uh, we normally get the ones that are distracted by animals. Um, ah. Nothing wrong with them, but uh, an unsighted person walking down the street and the dog, you know, uh, tenses up because it sees a cat. The unsighted person doesn't know why the dog's tense. Where you or I, you know, we say, okay, there's a cat underneath the car. And that's normally why we get them. Um, I say very usually high energy. Um, the guide dog foundations—they've been breeding dogs. I think they're in about their 18th generation. So we're getting very solid. Uh, dogs physically and mentally because they've been bred for uh, a working line. So then if these are dogs that have essentially washed out for whatever reason in a, in a service dog capacity, how old are the dogs when you get them and begin the ATF training? Right. We normally uh, get them when they're about 12 to 16 months old. Um, that, they usually make a determination at about one year old if it's going to make their program or not. And I wanted to add a program we started using a few years ago, which is fantastic. It's called Puppies Behind Bars. Oh, great. The inmates, the inmates in the prison are actually uh, raising the dogs specifically for us. So they're a wonderful program. The prisoners don't get any um, early parole or anything like that. They don't want the wrong person doing it. So they're, they're basically doing it out of the goodness of their heart. So is this a breeding program also, or are the dogs bred and brought in and then trained and brought up by, by these folks? Actually, um, they have, they do breed their own dogs, and um, you know the prisoner gets the dog when it's eight weeks old and raises it. Um, I think it's a fantastic program because that dog is getting attention twenty four seven. Where you know the the homeowner that has a dog, they might get up, take the dog for a walk in the morning for a half hour, and they got to get the kids off to school and then go work, and then you come home, you got to make supper, maybe you take the dog for another half hour walk. Where that inmates with that dog twenty four seven, you know, it's just a a constant cycle, so I think that's very interesting. Where is this program? There's actually uh, a couple prisons up upstate New York, um, Connecticut, and uh, New Jersey. All right, and these are all Labradors again? Correct. 
you mentioned that you have Caroline there. Now, how does Caroline and your Pomeranian, how do they get along? The Pomeranian is the boss, so... (laughs) (laughs) They get along really, really well. Um, you know, we take them for long walks every night, and uh, they say they're buddies. Oh, that's great. Well, what is the job, the specific working job that Carolyn does as an ATF dog? She's uh, just she's just like any other dog in our fleet. She's one of our explosive detection canines, so she can um, she can do anything that uh, like I said, all the dogs in the fleet do. We will continue our conversation with ATF canine trainer Sean Crawford after messages from these sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Give your dog some thought with Dog Thoughts. It's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. What do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. Now, I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's why. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. On your iPhone, of course. Take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. 
we're back. And again, speaking with Mr. Sean Crawford, who is not only a handler with ATF, but also trains these dogs. Now, I wanted to ask, how long is an ATF dog's working life? You said, Carolyn, your dog is about four years old now. So how much longer would she expect to be working? What we do, we have a policy at nine years old. We, um, we retire the dog. And at that age, you know, they're most of them, they're still pretty spry, but um, we're not going to push them past that. And, uh, you know, let them have that last four or five years just to relax and uh, just be a dog. <laughs> so when she retires, is she going to stay with you? Will you have another working dog come into the house? Uh, she'll, she'll stay with me. All of our, uh, all of our handlers, um, the dogs, you know, they retire and then they stay with them. She's got to remember... Um, the working life of the dog, basically the handler gets the dog when it's two and you for retirement at nine. Um, they've been with that dog for seven years. Um, that's a long time. We always make jokes, you spend more time with your dog than you do with your family. <laughs> you know, you get a police officer that's working 12-hour shifts. Um, they're with that dog 12, 12 hours a day times seven years. is a very, very close bond there. Um, as I said earlier, the dogs are required to live with the family inside the house, so, you know, the wife, the children, they're, they're all attached to this animal. So I think it's a, you know, it's a neat thing. When our dogs aren't working, they're dogs, and they just get to, they just get to relax. So does Carolyn sleep in the bed with you guys? She's got her own bed. Have <laughs> you ever had a, a laboratory? There's an old saying: they chew till they're two, and they're shed till they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they oh, eat anything oh. that doesn't move faster than they do. So. <laughs> That brings me to the training. Now, um, when I spoke with a couple of the other ATF handlers, they mentioned that the arson dogs and the explosive detection dogs are trained with food rewards. They don't eat unless they find something. Explain to listeners, how does that work? How do you train these guys? Basically, we're using using the food reward methodology. If you look at the top animal trainers like uh, SeaWorld or the people that do the um, animals for movies, everybody's using food. It's a very strong motivation. So what we do, we use Pavlovian conditioning. Instead of ringing a bell, we, we make the dog smell, um, looks like a little snuff tin with holes in it, and uh, we put the target odor in there. Every time they smell it, we give them a handful of food. So throughout the course of the day, the dog might smell that explosive 100 times, and it gets a handful of food 100 times a day. They're never de- deprived of food. As I say they just eat small portions all day. If you look at that, they don't ever have... Um, an insulin dump. Labradors are gorgers. When you put their bowl of food down, they'll consume the entire bowl very, very quickly. Just like you or I, if you go out for lunch and have a big pasta uh, or a big sandwich for lunch, when you get back to your desk, you get that little bit of tiredness because you've got that uh, insulin dump where these dogs don't have that. And they have a nice um, level energy all day, and that's great for working. Okay, so basically then you have to do setups in order for the dog to get fed? Right, and it's and again, it sounds it sounds like it's a lot of work, but on the handler's day off, and, and again, I can personally speak to this. It takes you about fifteen minutes to uh, feed your dog. There's a basic little simple line discrimination exercise that you can do that you can quickly get the food into the dog. So I say it's not. Oh my God, the rest of my life I got to get out every day and get this stuff out. It, it, it's really not that bad. We've got some of our arson dog handlers. They're on their third dog. Um, so they've been doing this, you know, 15 years. So it, I think that shows you it's not that bad. They're coming back getting their third dog. Well, I had a question here. Do the dog need tune-ups as far as coming back for remedial training? But if they're doing this every day, do they just 
figure in if there's a new accelerant that they need to work on or some kind of new explosive detection? Is that something that the uh, handler does on on their own or do they come back to the center for remedial training every now and then? That's a very good question. Um, Let me answer that two ways. If it's an accelerant, we can put a mass email out to all the people in the field and say, hey, um, we're seeing a trend that this new product's being used. Train your dog on it. problem with the explosives is it might be something that people can't get a hold of, and we're going to have to go to them or they're going to have to come to us for, um, for the dog to be trained on that new odor. We do a lot of training with um, uh, the acetone-based explosives. They're very, very dangerous, um, so the average police department doesn't have that in their inventory, so we'll go to them and make sure the dog's trained on it. One thing that we, we have to do, we have to keep up with the with the threats out there. Uh, you got to be one ahead of the bad guy. So that's one thing we try to we really, really do is try to get good intelligence from the field and uh, make sure the dogs are trained on, well, say, whatever that new threat is out there. When you're on a call out, is it generally just one dog, or do you take a you know a whole pack of detection dogs out uh, to cover large areas? Yeah, again, that depends on the scenario. You know, if you're tasked to clear the Super Bowl stadium, you're probably going to need you know ten or fifteen dogs because of that large area. If it's just a simple crime scene where you're looking for a gun, you might just have one dog there. You know, if it's a large large fire, they might have a couple dogs. Now, so I said, just it depends on. What you're looking for, how much time you've got, things like that. All right. Well, you've been with uh, ATF for some time training dogs for, as you said, you've been with dogs for 20 years or more as a professional. How has training of dogs evolved over the years? Is it different now than in the past? Now, I know you can speak from the ATF viewpoint or, or from your personal viewpoint because I believe you were training in the military also. How has it changed over the years? It's changed quite a bit. Um, I had a chance to work with uh, some military handlers a few months back, and you know I hadn't seen the seen it in a while, and it's really evolved. Um, but you, like I said, you have to evolve to meet the threat out there. Um, I think with ATF, we're one of the few agencies that uses food, and I think there hasn't been a paradigm shift. But I think there's going to be um, because of the the amount of repetitions I can do to, uh, to train the dog. And if I'm having a problem with the dog, especially with these Labradors because they're such gluttons, I just get go, go get more food, do more trials until the dog gets it right. So you end up with a dog that's enormous. Oh, that brings up an interesting point. Do the dogs ever figure out, hey, if I keep getting it wrong, I'm going to keep getting fed until I get it right? No, because this is it's real simple. Um, we use very very positive reinforcement. We never correct the dogs when they do something wrong. We just don't give them a handful of food. So they learn really, really quick. If I make a mistake, I'm not going to get fed, so I'm not going to do that behavior again. I know I've interviewed folks at uh, pet food companies where they do the feeding trials, and they learn very quickly not to use certain breeds for certain tests because beagles would eat anything and Labradors would learn to eat both bowls of food, the comparison bowls, down right. at the same level. So they get both bowls of food and you never knew which one they preferred. Right. It's challenging. I mean, these dogs are they're very, very intelligent. Again, you know, from the breeding lines, they're breeding them for work. So you know, sometimes, you know, it's like, whoo, this guy's <laughs> pushing the buttons here. But we always say we've got opposing thumbs and we can outthink them. <laughs> so I wanted to get into some more maybe nitty-gritty questions, and from the viewpoint of ATF, you may not be able to address some of this because I think I've just learned that the tactical dogs 
are not necessarily trained by ATF canine trainers. They are trained by folks that are hired to do this, right. uh, the contract yeah. personnel. Yeah, our academy, um, all we train on the accelerant and the explosive protections, and I said that's, that's a totally different entity doing that. Okay, well, I'd like to get your opinion then just on the use of positive punishment techniques to train technical dogs or military dogs or these kinds of things. I mean, the public might think of these uh, or hear about, you know, choke collars, prong collars, shock collars, some of these types of things. What is your opinion of those and when are they appropriate? Are they ever appropriate? You know, it depends on the person doing the training. If you get a trainer and people with a lot of aversion to shock collars, I think a shock collar in the right hand is is a lot less um, hard on an animal than a pinch collar. If you've ever seen one, that's a pretty, pretty aggressive collar. Um, but there are those instances where you, especially with some of the, you know, the, the military dogs, these are really, really powerful animals, and uh, you've got to get some control over them, or the trainer's going to get severely injured. I know that. Um I saw a fantastic demonstration in New York with a tactical dog. This was in front of a, of a group of people, and the dog you know, attacked on command the sleeve and brought the demonstrator guy down and then released immediately, which was, you know, it was just amazing, the control. But this, again, is a very powerful dog, and I noticed also and spoke with him briefly afterwards. He had a shock collar on the dog, and I was told this was because this particular animal was having some dog-on-dog aggression issues, and this was how they had trained the dog to apparently not have those problems. Is that something you could see being an effective way to handle this problem? Because I understand. I mean, if this dog is out on the job, he can't be distracted by the other dogs in the field. Right. Like I said, one, one good correction is better than a, than a hundred bad corrections. If they can just give that dog a little nip and it stops that behavior versus, versus having to put a, you know, a pinch or a choke on and constantly have to, you know, put a heavy correction, physical correction, I think actually that collar is more humane. I don't know if you've ever um, tried one, but on a low setting, you can't even hardly feel it. And that's all the dog really needs. Yes, I, I have tried those, and the uh, my only concern would be that dogs are not people. They don't, you know, feel the same way that people do, and we can't really guess how that oh, I, goes. I, in a, yeah. I agree with you 100% on mm-hmm. that. But I think we can put into relation, though, if I put a, a pinch collar around your neck and snap it hard where it digs into your skin versus that little, it's a millisecond. Um, shock. I think that millisecond shock versus those prongs, you know, digging in your neck is a lot more humane. Well, and I think also that in the hands of a professional who's been doing this for 25 years and knows the dogs and knows the job is a much, much different thing than a pet dog owner going out and buying a zap collar. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, yeah, I, I think those things should only be sold to licensed dog trainers. Because, yeah, you're right, and I was listening to your rant at the beginning there. You give that tool to the wrong person, they put it on the highest level, and they're going to hurt that animal. I say it's professional. You know, we know we start the lowest level possible. And if, that, if that's all they need, you never go up another notch, and the dog's fine. But if we start at the highest level, as a pet owner might go, I'm going to, I'm going to crank this dog as hard as I can so he stops getting into the trash. There's a good chance he's going to hurt that dog. Or the dog is going to, you know, rebound aggression and attack the person as well. I mean, we right. see a lot of that. Are you familiar, just off the uh, chance, are you familiar with a trainer named Steve White who's been uh, training police dogs for years strictly, apparently, with positive methods? 
I'm not familiar with Okay. No, it's uh, it's interesting. Apparently, he's um, been uh, an instructor for the Canine Academy of Law, and I was just wondering if you'd heard of him and if that might not be a positive direction, forgive the pun, uh, <laughs> for training of uh, military and police dogs, possibly in the future. That's a good question. It, it can be done. You just, I think a lot of it has to do with... Um, getting the proper dog in the beginning that has a very good solid temperament that, that is trainable. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if we if we start with a good product, we can be very positive with it. If we get an animal that's maybe a little bit too aggressive, that's where they have to revert to some of the you know, more harsher techniques because, like I said, it, you've got a danger there getting bit. Absolutely. Well, uh, I appreciate your candor and uh, offering your opinion. This has really been enlightening for me. I'm going to try and perhaps get a hold of some of the uh, contract trainers and ask them (laughs) some pointed questions. But in the meantime, Sean, before we close the show, I wondered if there's, is there anything else that you would like to add and make sure that uh, listeners know about your work, what's really important for them to know? And, you know, we were talking about a lot of the, uh, you know, the different types of collars and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we use, we don't even use choke collars on our dog. We use a loose sleeve, sleeve collar, and everything's positive. Like I said, if the dog makes a mistake, we ignore the behavior. Love them all day long. And uh, it, it's a great, it's a great methodology because the Labrador is with the handler. He's getting praised and he's eating all day long. Their tails probably don't fall off because they're wagging their tails so hard. <laughs> Well, you know, that's a great job for a dog. He gets to eat for a living, and uh, I appreciate so much you taking the time. Thanks, Sean. Well, we are out of time, but I would like to thank Mr. Sean Crawford and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. Oh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to the free monthly Pet Peeves newsletter available at Shojai.com. Woofs and wags until next time. And remember, your pet dog isn't going to be tracking the bad guys for the ATF or anybody else. Be sure to use training appropriate to your special pooch. When you need help, look for a trainer who uses primarily reward-based training with treats, toys, and play because you want your dog to behave because he loves you, not fears you. After all, you don't want him to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.